This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning at home. If you're watching, big hi to you. It's great to have you with us. Thank you so much. If you're here in the room, you're so welcome as well. It's great to have you with us this morning. And if you're listening to this on podcast later in the week or months, then hello to you too, whatever you're doing right now. What a joy it is to be together. Isn't the sunshine beautiful? I was just standing in the full ray of sun there in worship. It was marvellous. And isn't worship interesting as well? I was thinking, you know, we, 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 uh, when we sing, I mean, I don't know about you, when I'm singing along with Ed Sheeran, I'm not singing to anyone. Um, when I'm singing along to the radio, I'm not singing to anyone. Uh, you know, I might sing to my wife sometimes, you know. You know. <laughs> Save a few little songs for Claire. Um, but, uh, but I never sing to anyone else. Does anyone else do that? I mean, it's a weird thing, isn't it? But it's, it's, it feels entirely appropriate. Isn't it great? You might sing that. I am the apple of my father's eye. He loves and cares for me. I'm his delight. He watches over me all day and night. All right, that's enough here. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Um... Right, well, let's, let's get on with our talk this morning, shall we? Um, I was going to say to you, um, have, you ever, have you ever had trouble convincing someone else of how amazing your experience was? So, for instance, you might, you might have been to a really nice restaurant and you had a, a melt-in-the-mouth steak, you know, and you're trying to communicate how incredible it was. And you're looking at the person that you're talking to and they, they, you know they kind of get it, but they have to experience it for themselves, right? Or perhaps um, a movie. Uh, you've watched a movie and it's just had an incredible twist. I just want to give a shout out to Bruce Willis this week, who's retired from acting. Um, but Sixth Sense, anyone seen Sixth Sense? Yeah, don't say anything. For those that haven't seen it, but if you haven't seen Sixth Sense, you must see it. I can't tell you how good it is, because if I do, I'm going to ruin it for you. Um, uh, or perhaps it's somewhere you've been. Is there anywhere you've been where you just know that you find it hard to communicate the reality of that experience. So for me, um, I've been lucky enough to travel to India twice. And I always describe India as an assault. And I just want to shout, shout out to our Indian friends. We have a whole Indian church that is connected to us. A couple of Indian churches, actually, in Chandigarh and one down south. And uh, uh, they often connect with us online. So it's great to have you with us. And I love your country. I love going to India. It's an assault on my senses in the very best way. And I'm trying to describe this to you. Um, I, I've flown into Mumbai, I've been to Bengaluru, and uh, we've been through Sri Lanka as well. And, and I know when I first arrived in Mumbai, uh, everything was different. Uh, you know, I walked out the air-conditioned airport into the air, and it, was, it smelled so different from air here. It was laced with spices, and it was so thick you could chew it. You know, it was incredible. The, the noise of, of the car horns in the city. I mean, if you've ever been to India, you'll know what I'm talking about, right? It's just constant car horns. Um, I, think, I, I think I've read somewhere that Indians use their car horns to indicate whether they're turning left or right. It's kind of because they literally have different tones of car horns, and it's, it's melodic. Um, the... the there's people everywhere. I mean, I know we live in a very densely populated country here in England, but India has got, we've got nothing on India. I mean, Mumbai, Bengaluru, these cities, but, but it's not just in the cities, in the rural areas as well. There's people literally everywhere. It's incredible. There's a billion people who live in India. And so wherever you drive, there's people. There's lush paddy fields. Um, uh, there's uh, just incredible food. I mean, I remember, you know, 
really evocative memories of like eating tandoori chicken. Do you remember that? That um, uh, that we had, our host cooked for us. It was cooked in a clay oven. It was so beautiful. It's not like nothing you get from the takeaway here. You know, I'm, I'm, I remember we also had a biryani. And do you remember that? We sat we sat with a church of 200 people under the, under a covering of fabric, got, uh, you know, uh, shielding us from the heat of the midday sun, eating a biryani. And we re remember our, they, our host gave us chicken in our biryani because meat is expensive in their community. So they held back from eating the chicken themselves and they gave the chicken to us. It was just a really evocative memory for me. And I can't, I can't communicate to you how immense and overwhelming it is to go to India and what an incredible experience. I remember when Claire and I came back from our first trip, we literally, we just were bereft, weren't we? We bereft because we saw such poverty in, in, in parts of India that just left us hum humiliated, really, didn't we, by our own appetites and greed and, you know, I mean... We've just gone back to being like that now, sadly. But the reality is, is that 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 we for a few weeks we were just completely emotionally blown away by the whole experience. Now, for those of you who've been to India, you're probably going, "Yeah, I know what you mean." But for those of you who haven't been to India, you're probably going, "Okay, I, I kind of get that. I recognise that. You know, I can imagine that is what it was like." But you don't feel the emotion that we're feeling right now because you haven't been there. You haven't experienced it first hand. Now, I am wondering whether, actually, um, when we think about Jesus, uh, you can relate to this idea that it's one thing to know about Jesus, and it's another to experience Jesus firsthand. Is that, is that fair? It's a one thing to know about Jesus, and quite another to experience him firsthand. So perhaps, perhaps you, you know that um, when you look at the, the, the stories of Jesus, we've been looking at the stories of Jesus in the book of Mark, you recognise that... Uh, Jesus was full of a very compassionate person, uh, a man of justice, um, very kind, very generous with his time, um, really loving. And you can see all these things about Jesus, but you, of course you've never met him in person. So how can you know these things for yourself? You, you may also understand that there are Christian doctrines or Judeo-Christian doctrines that kind of help us understand who Jesus is and what Jesus means. But you've never actually experienced any of that firsthand. I, um, I was uh, out, I don't know which day it was, but I was staring up at the clear night skies, staring at the stars, and um, I, um, I was just stood there for ages, uh, and I, I'm a big fan of Brian Cox. Anyone else a big fan of Brian Cox? I'm not talking about Brian Cox, the actor. Brian Cox, the professor, the musician, Dareem, you know, the professor of uh, particle physics at, at University of Manchester. And, um, uh, you know, Brian Cox, when he describes the universe in his programs that he, that he produces, I just, it's overwhelming when you consider the size of the universe and the scope of the universe and the time zone of the universe. And the, it's just overwhelming. And I look at the night sky and I was just thinking about that and just staring at the stars and thinking about the expansion of the universe and thinking about the way in which, in which apparently stars form and how the universe is formed. And it's just incredible. And it came in uh, afterwards, or maybe it was a, a day or so later, and I said to Claire, I need, and some of you are going to be shocked by this, but listen, hear me out first. I need, I need, I need a sense of, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to check my notes, because I just want to say this right, because I don't want to upset you. But I, I need to know that when I look at the stars, I need to know that Jesus of Nazareth understands the stars. 
understands gravity, understands quantum physics, understands the planets, because they are part of my reality. When I think about Jesus of Nazareth, I need to understand, I need to know that Jesus understands the present day realities of challenges I'm facing in my life and you're facing in your life. I need Jesus to know those things. And in some ways, I need God to be bigger than... um, than what Jesus was, which was considered to be, and the scholars would say this, a peasant Jewish rabbi living 2,000 years ago in a very small area of the Middle East. I need God to be bigger than that. Now, I think the disciples needed to know Jesus as bigger than that as well. And we're going to look at Mark today. And we're going to, we're going to see an, an, a situation described by Mark, which I think is probably one of the most important experiences that we read about in Jesus' life, apart from the resurrection. And in some ways, it is a glimpse of the resurrection. We're going to talk about something called the transfiguration, which might sound a bit weird. So let's, let's read it in Mark and, uh, and read it together. So if you've got a Bible app on your phone, pull it out. So Mark 9, verses 2 to 12. After six days, after six days, after six days after what? Why would Mark include six, a reference to six days? It's a bit odd, I think. But we'll come back to that in a minute. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John. Who were, they were like his best disciples. All right, They'd be like Dan, Claire, and Liz. You know, like... <laughs> I wouldn't be in that group. I can... So after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. You quite like the idea that you'd have gone up the mountain with Jesus, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd have been like, yeah, yeah, I'd be like that. Okay. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain. Okay, I'll tell you about this mountain in a minute, where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before him, whatever that means. Um, His clothes became dazzling white. (laughs) Whoever invented daz, I wonder if that's where they got the word from. Uh, That's a washing powder if you're watching this from outside the UK. It's a Daz, it's a washing powder here in the UK. Uh, His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. I love that. Um, And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's really good for us to be here. I'm just imagining he's absolutely like falling apart emotionally right now. He's just like having a meltdown. Um, and incredibly nervous, incredibly scared. He says, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He did not know what to say (laughs) because they were so frightened. Um, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders. Just know that, he ordered them. Jesus gave them orders, Mark says, not to tell anyone what they'd seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. I love that. Like, what the heck does he mean? um, And they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer uh, uh, much and be rejected? Um, so Mark includes this incredible experience of the three favourite disciples going up the mountain with Jesus and having this ridiculous experience, okay? And it's just happened after Jesus has told him that he's next on Herod's kill list, okay? 
He's next on the kill list. And we know what kill lists look like because we're, we're hearing about it in the press at the moment, about the kill lists that uh, Putin's regime have on the Ukrainian uh, politi uh, politicians. So we know there's a kill list and we know that John the Baptist has already been eliminated and Jesus is next on the list and Jesus says to his disciples, I'm next on the list. And they go, no way. Literally. Peter rebukes him. He's furious with him. And he says, no way. There's no way you're on that next on that kill list because we have a revolution to lead. You see, what Peter thinks is that Jesus is the latest in a short line of revolutionary political leaders who's going to lead the Jews against the, uh, the Russian, oh, I said Russian, Roman occupation. Okay, our met metaphors are there. You know? I mean, I hope that we can at least appreciate what we might be seeing in the present might have been something like what happened in the past, right? And Jesus is going to, I mean, I, I don't want to say that. <laughs> I have to be careful, behave yourself in. But he's, he, they think he's a revolutionary leader that's going to lead them and kick the Romans out. And here's the thing. Jesus is having none of it. She said, no, no, you, you, you really do misunderstand what I'm here for. I am not here for that. I'm not here to do that. And in fact, Jesus prophesied a few times Towards those revolutionary Jews who want to try and defeat the Romans, he said, that's not going to happen. In fact, you're all going to get crushed. And he prophesies that Jerusalem will be destroyed by the Romans. So we have this situation where we've got this conversation going on with Jesus. Jesus thinks that, uh, tells the guys he's going to get killed. Um, the, the, the disciples won't have any of it. And so what Jesus does is he reveals something of his cosmic nature to the disciples. And notice he reveals it to Peter, James and John. So... From our perspective, this story of the transfiguration seems a bit bizarre, but to, the, to Peter, James and John it wouldn't have been. And the reason for that is because there's a story that they would have been told since they were children about another mountain called Mount Sinai. Now Mount Sinai is actually um, somewhere uh, in the Sinai Peninsula, we're not exactly sure where, somewhere in the Sinai Peninsula which is in modern day Egypt. Um, and the Israelites, if you remember back then, um, were emigrating from Egypt under Persecution, under oppression. Okay, they were being forced out. Cue images of Ukrainians being forced out of Ukraine. Okay, this is a situation that's going on in Egypt. The Jews are, are having to leave Egypt because they're being oppressed by the Egyptians. And uh, what happens is, is that Moses, who is kind of the reluctant leader of this emigration, um, he says to God, God, if you don't go with us, like, I'm not leading this thing. And he's having this discussion with God. And um, uh, he wants to know that he has God's authority to lead all these people. I mean, we're talking millions of people. He wants to know that he's got God's authority. So what does God do? He takes him up a mountain. He takes him up a mountain. And he makes him wait on that mountain for six days. You see the link? See, Mark knows his Jewish history. And Mark is drawing a, a complete parallel between this experience of Moses on Mount Sinai, which happened centuries, like a couple of thousand years before Jesus, and this, sorry, a thousand years before Jesus, and this experience of, the, of Jesus leading the disciples up this mountain. Now this mountain actually that Jesus leads them up is called Mount Tabor. It's about 2,000 feet high. It's not very high. It's just southwest of Lake Galilee or Sea of Galilee. Um, it's in an open plain, so it's, uh, it's really visible. Uh, and he takes them up the top of this mountain, the Mount Tabor and this incredible thing happens now <clears throat> this story of Sinai and Moses um, was traditionally thought of as a place where God uh, the gods met with people so if, if in traditional cultures throughout the world if you want to go and meet with the gods you generally go up the top of the mountain who knows that right 
uh, where did we go? Petra, didn't we? And we went up to the top of uh, the mountain but in Petra because that's where they made the sacrifices to the gods. So if you want to meet with the gods, you go to the top of the hill. So Moses goes up to the top of the hill. Jesus goes up to the top of the hill. But here's the story of Moses going up to the top of the hill. It's in Exodus 33, verses 12 to 20. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favour with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation, the Jews, is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Because how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked, because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. And then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on you, I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. So Moses is not able to see God directly. Remember, the Jews called God Yahweh. He was not able to see Yahweh's glory and presence directly. But even getting close to Yahweh made Moses' face shine with radiance and brilliance. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 29 to 30, just a little one chapter on. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hand, let's say the constitution, okay? When Moses came down to Mount Sinai with the constitution for, Jew, for Israel, he was not aware that his, hand, that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near, me, near him. Now, centuries later, there's that brilliant, blinding radiance shining out of Jesus on top of another mountain. Now, if, you can, if you're sat just where the sun is, can you just turn your face towards the sun and just close your eyes, don't stare straight at the sun. Close your eyes, there's a health and safety issue here, but um, just look straight at the sun with your eyes closed and just feel the radiance and just see how your whole vision is completely filled with that light. And if you're not in the sun, I'm really sorry. But afterwards, go outside and just stare at the sun with your eyes closed. Okay, with your eyes closed, don't burn your retinas out. But just do that and just allow the radiance of the sun just to fill your vision. That's what Mark is describing here. When he looked at Jesus, Jesus suddenly appeared like the sun. And they could barely see. They couldn't even barely make out his shape because the light that was coming from him was so radiant. So incredibly radiant. The uh, author to the letter of the Hebrews says this in chapter 1, verse 3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now what's really interesting here is, is that on Mount Sinai, Moses reflected the radiance of God. But on Mount Tabor, Jesus was the source of the radiance of God. It was coming from him. He wasn't reflecting something else. He wasn't standing in the sun like we are now. The radiance was like the sun coming out of his very body. And uh, Mark is clearly drawing the parallel here between these two mountaintop experiences. 
And as I said, that reference to six days is the six days that Moses waited before Yahweh spoke to him. And if you want to check that out, Exodus 24, 16. Um, now, Moses and Elijah, why were they present at the time of Jesus' Mount Tabor experience? Well, Moses and Elijah represent uh, effectively um, the law and the prophets, okay? which is summary, is shorthand for all of Jewish history. Okay, that's what it is. So what was happening here was that Mark is saying that this peasant Galilean rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, he's saying is actually Yahweh. That's what he's saying. That this human being that was born in Nazareth just down the road from Mount Tabor, this peasant Jewish rabbi is Yahweh. Not one of Yahweh's prophets, not one of Yahweh's servants, is Yahweh, God in person. And that's massive. And you can tell from the reaction of Peter, James and John that they know this is massive. They are terrified. I mean, honestly, like, they spend quite a lot of their time. Like, Jesus is terrifying. Like, do you remember when I talked about Jesus being out on the water with the storm and he's asleep in the bow and then the, 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 this storm's going to overwhelm these seasoned fishermen and, 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 and they're like terrified and then Jesus wakes up and then calms the storm and they're terrified. All right, they're terrified again. Jesus is terrifying uh, to the disciples because he does the most bizarre supernatural things. And so what we see here is Peter saying, Shall we erect three shelters? Which sounds a bit bizarre um, until you realise that the word shelter actually means tabernacle or, tab or temple. So he's saying, shall we build a tabernacle, which is a sort of portable temple? Shall we build one? Why is he saying that? Well, he's saying that because cultures throughout human history have built temples as places of safety, uh, or rather have created temples in, in such to, in order to approach their gods safely. Does that make sense? And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, oh my goodness. I mean, I, honestly, like, if I used probably expletives to just kind of describe what he really meant, you'd be offended. He, I, I think he was really, really, really scared. So lame, isn't it? Sometimes that word scared. It's like, no, terrified. And he's like, we need to build a temple or something because we're going to die. And there's Peter's obsession with get dying again. Like only a few pages earlier, Peter's like, Saying to Jesus, no way, you are not going to die. Because if you die, we might die. Peace is terrified of dying. This is a theme that keeps coming up. He's terrified of dying. And in this situation, he's terrified of dying. Why? Because, because um, <laughs> what he realises in his culture was that because of this story about Moses was you can't see God and live. So along with all the cultures throughout human history who built temples as places to safely approach their gods, places to mediate, places to make sacrifices in order to appease their gods, the Jews had this rich tradition, rich tradition of building temples and sacrifices in order to have a relationship with God. That's how they're related to God. Isn't that interesting? Because we don't do that nowadays, do we? Why? Well, we don't do that in a Western Christian culture. Why? Because Jesus is the temple to end all temples. It's like Jesus didn't need, he said, we don't need a temple anymore. You can approach me because I am God, which is why the temple authorities were so upset because they made a lot of money out of the temple, okay? And all their power was invested in the temple. And that's why Jesus was killed. I've said about this in my previous talk. He was killed because the political religious authorities wanted to kill him. There are other reasons why he died 
And we'll talk about those again at another time. But he was killed because of those people, because he usurped their authority. In this situation, Jesus is usurping the authority of the temple. And Peter says, quick, build a temple to protect us from the presence of this cosmic God. But they didn't die, did they? It's all over in a moment. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah disappear. The light, thankfully, like, dies out. And Jesus is back. Jesus of Nazareth is right there going, don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man has been risen from the dead. And they're going, what do you mean, risen from the dead? I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, what we see here is that uh, Jesus often did that. Whenever there, whenever there was a supernatural metaphysical experience, Jesus often said to people, like, don't tell anyone. So he'd heal someone right, miraculously. And then he'd say, just don't tell anyone about this. It's just between you and me. Because I had compassion on you and I can heal you, so I've healed you. So you're better. Go and enjoy your healing. But please don't tell anyone. Why? Because he knew the miracles and metaphysical spiritual experiences don't translate well. It's difficult to know what someone's talking about unless you've experienced it firsthand, right? Those of you that have not been to India, it's difficult to appreciate my raving about India, isn't it? Because you've not experienced it firsthand. And Jesus understood that when you have these tremendous, overwhelming personal experiences, it's very difficult to communicate it. And what's more, he knew that actually it was just going to stir up even more trouble politically. So Jesus says, don't tell anyone about this. Now, we know that this experience clearly stayed with Peter. Why? Because scholars believe that Mark's account of Jesus' life is actually Peter's account. It's just his, his, his recollections of Jesus. So let me just say this to you. Um, if you want to experience India firsthand, please get on a plane or go on a ship or even drive overland. But, okay, go to India if you want to experience India firsthand. But you've got to do that. You've got to go. You've got to actually get on a plane, get in a car, go on a ship to get to India and experience it. Now, let me say this to you. There are no conditions. I want to suggest there are no conditions attached to experiencing the cosmic Jesus firsthand. But it stands to reason that you need to at least acknowledge that he is present cosmically, metaphysically, beyond the immediate physical experiences that we have. If you carry on reading this story, you'll see that the helpless dad asks Jesus to heal his young son in the next story, in Mark. Honestly, he doesn't know what he believes. He says, he says oh, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief, which is another way of saying, I don't really believe. You don't need to believe for Jesus to act in your life. But you do need to step, take a step in the right direction. And, and this man had brought his son to be healed by Jesus. He took a step in the right direction. So you need to at least get on a plane or you need to at least take a step forwards. So can we experience Jesus firsthand? I, I want to say to you that, and you may disagree with me, but I want to say that biblically and historically, I think the answer to that question is yes. But what does it mean to experience Jesus of Nazareth? Is it just the peasant Rabbi Jesus who lived you know, 2,000 years ago for 30 years in the middle of a desert? Well, it's not a desert, um, in the middle of the Jordan Valley. Or are you actually going to experience the resurrected Jesus that the disciples had a glimpse of on Mount Tabor? Because that's what it was. It was a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus. And if the resurrected Jesus is ascended, and we can talk about ascension another time, but if the resurrected Jesus is ascended, can you experience him now? Like you stare into the sun and experience the warmth of the sun. And I think biblically and historically, we would say, yes, you can. And we know that cultures throughout the world have always, people, people throughout the world, throughout human history, have always had spiritual, supernatural experiences, right? 
It's normal. It's normal. It's normal to have these kind of experiences. That's part of our nature as people. So cosmic, spiritual, metaphysical experiences are a normal part of being a human being. But there's just one last comment. These experiences have a short half-life. You know what I mean? When, when radioactive substances decay, they have a half-life, right? So radioactive substances have a half-life. These kind of metaphysical, spiritual experiences also have a half-life. Their influence on you fades, doesn't it, quite quickly. Is that fair? Would anyone else agree with that? I know for me, I've, I've experienced spiritual, deeply spiritual experiences, but they tend to kind of just peter out. Their influence, it just dies out relatively quickly. And I kind of need another one. And that's okay, because we're, spi we're spiritual people. We're, we are metaphysical people. We experience things that we cannot fully explain in the physical, right? I mean, I want to say to you that worship, sing worship like this is like the most incredible experience. But for some of you, that is not the way you connect with God. Some of you, you need to get out into the countryside. You, need, you find deep joy in just, in just smelling the flowers on the, the scent of flowers on the air. You, you might sit down in a field of corn and just connect with God. You might can lie on the beach and hear the waves crashing on the sand and you just start to have a spiritual experience and you encounter God. Some of you, you, you may actually be accountants or uh, really good with numbers and you look at the beauty of mathematics and you find God in that. And you, you have a spiritual experience where you go, oh my gosh. You might stare at the stars like I did and go, my gosh, I am connecting with something beyond myself right now. I, I think of it as roots. Like imagine I had roots and my body had metaphysical roots that kind of reach down into God. And that just this sense of I am connected to God. The Holy Spirit connects me to God and I, and I can never leave that. I can ignore it, but I can never leave it. So right now, why don't you just think about the way in which you generally have spiritual experiences, metaphysical experiences. How do you do it? And you might think to yourself, well, I'm not a Christian. And, uh, well, you're a human being, I think. So I think you do have spiritual experiences. So why don't we just connect with that right now? Just the way you connect with God right now, the cosmic God. Because I tell you what, that experience of the blinding light and, and, and Moses and Elijah was the most surreal, bizarre experience that uh, Peter, James and John could ever have hoped to have experienced. What about you? What about you? What are you? How are you experiencing God right now? And I want to say to you, every one of us can experience this, this cosmic Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. Each of you can experience that right now. And we are way over time. But you need to know that you can do this wherever you are. I need to know that. Every human being, every human being can do this. And there is no only one way to do it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing Jesus to us. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing yourself to us. Sink your roots deep down into the light, like a tree sinks its roots into the water table. Sink your roots right down now, just into, I don't know, I'm sorry, I'm not really making any sense, but use your imagination. Like, sink your roots into God right now, into Jesus, the cosmic Jesus, who does understand
particle physics and gravity, who does understand the, the challenges that you face in your life right now. And just breathe deeply. And inhabit your spiritual nature, your metaphysical nature. Inhabit that. Don't run away from it. There, all of this may seem a bit bizarre to some of you. But it was so bizarre to be on the top of Mount Tabor and see what they saw. So bizarre. But it was Jesus. So if you get used to it, Jesus will terrify you <laughs> in a good way. And he'll do bizarre things. And, and it's a, it can be a bizarre experience because it's not quite our physical experience. Do you know what I mean? It's not quite what we normally experience day to day. It will feel bizarre. Holy Spirit, I pray that like we are so out of time. But Holy Spirit, would you... Help us to connect with you in the same way the disciples connected with you on the top of Mount Tabor. Because we need to experience you firsthand. We don't just want to know about you because that ain't enough. We want to know you firsthand. And may we all experience the cosmic Jesus firsthand, the resurrected Jesus firsthand. And may you know that he is more and he's more, he's so much more than a peasant Jewish rabbi. Know that. He revealed himself as a peasant Jewish rabbi, but he is so much more. You can know God. You can know Jesus.